Hi, you're listening to No One Point Perspective. I'm Sophia Reiko, and I have conversations with other creatives to explore what it means to be an artist today. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Welcome. Before the episode starts, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, watch my first ever short film on YouTube or Vimeo. It is called Fisherman. It was a super fun little itty bitty project. It's about a minute and a half. So go watch it. Enjoy it. It's 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 fun. It's quirky. It's it's goofy. It's everything you could ever want. <laughs> so go watch it. Second of all, my next short film will be coming out in August or September of this year. I am ten times more excited about that one. It is it's gonna be so much more personal and it's much more planned out, much more thoughtful. I'm I'm very, very, very excited. Uh third of all go watch another short film called Shopworn. That is S-H-O-P-W-O-R-N. Shopworn by Athena Cherie. I got to see this in premiere in the San Francisco International Film Festival for Youth. And it's, it's amazing. It's about a boxer. And Athena Cherie is who I'm going to be talking to in this episode. Surprise! So go watch it. It's it's amazing. And that being said, enjoy the episode. Uh, love in the back. Okay, wait. I want a fun background too. Let me <laughs> let me do this <laughs> really quick. How are you doing? First of all, I'm doing well. You know, yeah. just got up. Actually, reviewed some films. So you know. Oh, nice. That's doing that's, the festival grind. What about you? Same. I I woke up about an hour ago and I made a really good uh like breakfast burrito. <laughs> oh, oh man, breakfast burrito sounds so good right now. Yeah, it was with some really like tomatillo salsa. Yeah, I yeah. added salsa and avocado and it was amazing. <laughs> Dude, that sounds really perfect. Cool my latte is totally blending in with the background. <laughs> it is funny. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't. Think, there it is. I haven't eaten breakfast yet. That's my mm. devious thing. I should prop. I guess now if I eat it, it's lunch. But yeah, brunch, brunch, brunch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so quick life updates. I just got back to the Bay Area a couple. Not a couple weeks ago, like a week ago. Uh, so I'm really, really happy to be back. It's it's summertime for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I didn't know how much I needed a break. <laughs> like, the school year hit me hard. What about you? Have you, you just got back, right? Yeah, I got back, uh, I think, like, 20 days ago mm. or so. Uh, yeah. But it has been nice to be back. I will say that. It is nice to just work on projects you want to work on, no school, and then you're seeing people back home, which is nice. So I, I'm really happy to be back in the Bay as well. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I went camping uh, Sunday, so I got back yesterday from camping, and that was super fun. 
Uh, oh my that sounds God. awesome. My brain is just on relax mode right now. <laughs> That's it's a so good nice. mode to be in, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and okay, background for you. You go to LMU in Los Angeles. Yes, uh, I do. It's your first year, right? Like me? Yes. Cool. And how was your first year? It was good. I was on a solid uh, 10 sets, 10 film sets nice. as a film production major. Uh, and those were the ones outside of class. And then I double majored in journalism, decided that would be nice to supplement my film just to get more of that documentary aspect. And then I worked for the school newspaper and honestly just got up to shenanigans. I ended up at the red <laughs> carpet for missing, which was crazy. I did not expect that. Um, I just stood outside the right building at the right time. And then <laughs> the head of industry relations at LMU was like, do you want to go to a red carpet event tomorrow at Alamo Draft House? And I was like, turns out I do. So yeah. it was a crazy, <laughs> crazy year. That's huge. You've done so much. That's awesome. And uh, I want to know your origin story. What? When did you decide you wanted to do film stuff and... And why? Why did you choose to do that? That's a crazy, so it's a crazy story. And I, the day I decided that I liked doing film is a different day than I decided I wanted to do it as a career. <laughs> uh, the day I decided I liked film stuff was when my history teacher in eighth grade said the Holocaust was too controversial to cover. And so when we had to do a World War II project and we had the choice of doing a presentation or a movie, I decided I was going to do a documentary about the Holocaust and it was the first time. And then I screened it for the class because we all, everyone had to watch everyone's project. And it was the first time in my life that I created something that I felt like made a difference because I had the opportunity to create a multimedia project. I was able to educate my class on something that we weren't educated in, in our school. And that sort of started a precedent for me of just doing documentaries whenever possible in class. I didn't think about this as a career until like, I would say maybe 11th grade. Because um, then I did a project on uh, homelessness in San Francisco. I interviewed Del Seymour, who deals a lot with um, uh, unhoused people in San Francisco. And then I did one on gentrification in the mission and how that the restaurant scene kind of adds to that gentrification because you're seeing a lot of these nice fancy restaurants in San Francisco uh, that are in these poorer areas. And that sort of, that was all documentary and it was only for school. Like it was like, I want to talk about this. And so I'm going to use this for some school project. And it didn't really escape that till I started going to this program called SF Art and Film, just because I thought it'd be fun. And then I fell in love with film. I remember the first project I was a first, um, AD for somebody and I loved working on set that was my first set and it was this project called The Mannequin which screened at the Mill Valley Film Festival back in I think 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and then from there I just fell in love with film and fell in love with the more narrative aspect of it what about you out of curiosity because I know you're also I, yeah you started oh, like a kind of a while before me I, I've only gotten into it like six months ago um, I, I mean, like, for me, it was a photography to cinematography type of thing. Like, I've always been taking photos of things. That's just, like, 
the way that I function, I, I, for as long as I re- can remember, I've been taking photos of freaking everything. But then I was like, you know, I've always been watching movies and, you know, going to movies, doing that type of thing. So I, I kind of had a realization like half a year ago. I was like, I really want to make these photographs more, like make them moving. Um, yeah, I, I just... And then I was like, oh, like every time I take a photograph, I always think this could be a really cool shot in a, in a film. Uh, and and so, yeah, I've been the past six months major uh, exploring, major experimentation time uh, for moving photos, <laughs> taking a lot of photos at once. <laughs> so I just really love the visual aspect of it. But now I'm exploring a lot more of like music combining music with uh these moving images and and trying to learn how to write um the narrative aspect of it i'm i'm uh experimenting with all of it right now but it fascinates me i just love it and i love that it is a community process like i love the idea of being on sets and working on teams i just i love that so I'm, yeah, I'm all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm still a photography major, but I'm doing a whole bunch of film stuff outside of school and uh, enjoying it, enjoying it a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the topic of today's episode, which you brought to me, and I'm really glad that you did because I have been thinking about this a lot uh and maybe not in a good way like i've been i've been kind of like fearing this topic (laughs) but i'm glad (laughs) we're gonna talk about it uh it's do we make art for ourselves or for other people now this is something that has come up in my art classes but it comes up in kind of a bad way it's kind of like a negative thing and and i feel like like when I think about this, I am thinking about it in a negative way, just because it, it's it's like, am I gonna be able to be creative in my career or not? Because that's that's why I'm doing it. Uh, I feel like everybody enters a career in a creative, in a creative career, <laughs> a career in a creative career, uh, to to be creative, and then and then you get there. And then you have this kind of reality check where you're like, wait, I need money to live. <laughs> uh, what are your initial thoughts on this topic? I, so for me, it's complicated because I work for multiple film festivals as uh, either a screener or a jury member. And my whole job is to say whether or not I think your art is good. Not even necessarily good, but does it have a space at this festival, which inherently leads to, does it meet the production standard? Does it meet, does it a story we want to tell? And so I'm in this whole world of judging every single piece of art that I see, but I'm also over here and I'm creating art. And so I'm very conflicted because there are things that I see a lot and there are certain things in a film that I'm tired of seeing. If your film starts off with an alarm clock and somebody waking up, <laughs> 
Oh my God. I see that all the time. (laughs) M. Night Shyamalan style twist endings. We've seen that too many times. And half the time, it's not even a twist. Um, Long one. I still, this one doesn't bother me yet, but you do see it a lot. A woman who's in distress and she puts on her lipstick incorrectly to show (laughs) that she's mentally disturbed. And it's like, part of me is like, ah, these people aren't creative anymore. They're doing the same cliches. But at the same time, who am I to police your art? Are cliches cliches because they work? Because they work in our mind. We have these reoccurring images. And so from that level, and then also as a creator, like I think back to like making documentaries when I was way younger, my goal back then was to inform, which is a lot more about the audience than like creating documentaries to learn and so then when you create narratives I think the question is are you creating your narrative to express yourself or are you creating your narrative to entertain right and those are the questions to ask yourself yeah I think the if you're an artist like the big question you should ask yourself is why am I doing it are you doing it to entertain others or are you doing it to communicate something to them that you have like I feel like being an artist is trying to express yourself to others and express like a unique perspective that you have or that someone else has and if you're just trying to entertain other people I don't see that fitting in there um, but people do do that a lot, a lot more than I would like in the film industry, um, especially with franchises. Uh, mm. It seems to me that there's no, like, there, it's lacking a bit of creative vision um, in those situations, which makes it harder to watch. It makes it less entertaining. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we're entering a newer age, though. Like, I feel like we're we're exiting the franchise age because we've been seeing a lot of people not liking the newer franchises um, installments that have come out recently. And I feel like we're seeing films that take inspiration from those franchises and turn them into something more beautiful. Like, I'm thinking right off the bat, everything, everywhere, all at once and polite society took like that superhero aspect that we've been seeing a lot and they've turned it into something new. And so I feel like we're entering, I feel like Hollywood in general, it ebbs and it flows. Like we had our star system in like their Mm fifties and it was like all like very centralized. And then in the sixties, we had a bunch of these, like the graduate, these smaller projects, independent filmmakers. And we, we love seeing that. And so I think we're going through cycles and I think it depends where we are in a particular cycle. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I feel like I didn't think that it would pass, but but that gives me a little bit of a hope that you say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like now that I've studied a little bit of art history, like vaguely, uh, I can see that throughout history, people have always had trends and uh, this idealized way of doing something and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, what do you think about that? I don't, yeah, I think, and the think I have this theory about like art trends and I think people 
especially in a creative field, people want to do what they think will be successful. And so if something works, like the superhero movie, we'll, we'll go back to that. That worked. That people loved that. And so people kept making more of them because creativity in itself is a risk. And anything you could do to minimize risk is nice. And so you'll have these cycles, but eventually people do get bored. Audiences do get bored. And something that did work won't work anymore because they want something new. Because that's what art's all about. It's creating something new at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of these trends are people have found something that's worked for a period of time. And so people, other people kept doing them and it was propagated via the, this works for audiences. And then I think that dies out when the audience gets tired. And so we're in the business of entertainment, but at the same time, entertainment is hospitality more than creativity. And so I think that determines what these bigger art trends that we see. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people just wanting to see one thing doesn't mean that they want to see the same thing over and over again. So I feel like it's this weird function of you have to have something new and different, but also you can't stray too far off because you have to fit within these parameters of, of, I guess it's values that, that people want to see represented. Like people in cultures will have values that they are super focused on as opposed to other cultures that may value other things and then when they see those things represented in entertainment they uh they like it it's it it, it appeals to them um yeah which i don't think is a bad thing i think that's just the way that it's always worked and you should be aware of that if you're going to be an artist i i feel like the 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 word entertainment kind of throws me off a little bit like it it makes it seem like you're the artist is doing it to entertain the audience but that's not entirely true like it is true but it's not true like i feel like the question do we make art for ourselves or for other people it could be like rephrased as do we make art from ourselves or from other people uh like do we do we want to make things because we want to make them for the sake of making them or do we want to make them because other people want us to make it you know uh just to rephrase that question but yeah art is it's a it's a way of communicating so you're you're doing it for other people but that's not the entire <laughs> that's not the entire story uh i mean i'm just thinking about it because like i there's i do there's making art for other people and because other people want you to make it and there's also making art because other people don't want you to make it mm-hmm. and i think that's another key thing is art is an important form of rebellion at the same time it, against mm-hmm. the status quo so it can be used in either facet like yeah. There are cinematic examples of this. There are artistic, like, painting examples of this, of art straight up being banned because it is so against the cultural norm. And those leave an impact as well, and those are the one, Those are the pieces that are remembered. Yes, yeah. I Art being banned is such an interesting topic because I don't understand how you could ban something like art. But it makes sense. Yeah, it's... 
if you're going to write, if you want to stop people from communicating, you have to regulate self-expression. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's genius, really. I think, well, I don't know if it's genius. It's unfortunate, but it's <laughs> yeah. a great way of controlling your population is to ban certain art pieces or ban books or just any piece that falls in the line of self-expression. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk more about the, like the idea of checking boxes when you're, when you're making a, a short film, let's say, because we know. The oh no. This. You, you gotta <laughs> have good audio. You gotta have, yeah, you gotta. Good audio the, is the, the hero's arc. You know, you have to do the narrative that's been told 20 million times before, but and these things are, are, are must-dos if you want to be successful, pretty much. And that's the reality of it. And when you're a juror or a screener for these film festivals, you're making sure that these people have met those standards. I mean, I have let films go through that don't follow the hero's journey, but they it, it needs to be broken with intention. And I think that's the difficult part is how do you break something with intention and how do you communicate to others that it was intentional? Mm -hmm. And I think in general, the biggest thing that gets a lot of films out of consideration is bad acting. Bad acting and bad sound are the two biggest killers of short films from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't believe the situation, then I'm not that inclined to care about the story. However, there are also exceptions to this because I've seen a couple absurd comedies with absurd acting, but it fits the environment. But it's intentional. It's intentional. Yeah. And so, and it's hard to say like, oh, if you you can break all the rules if you're doing it with intention, because I'm sure a lot of people break these rules with intention. They just didn't break the rules well. Mm -hmm. And breaking the rules well is super hard to quantify because I don't, I don't know how to tell you to break the, how to break the rules because also there's certain film types that they're so popular and I see them all the time that your film won't be selected because there's six other films like it and your film might have been good, but it wasn't better than one of the other films. Like the one I see a lot is teenager upset with parents for something and then they all come together at the end. That formula of family coming of age short film everywhere your film is going to have to be 10 times better than it would have to be otherwise just because there's so much competition in that niche and so i'm not looking at your film as a film i'm looking at it compared to every other body of work i've viewed before and so your film doesn't exist in a vacuum it unfortunately exists in a legion of other films that's a great point though i think uh when you're making a film, you have to be aware of the fact that you're surrounded by other films and your short film will be shown alongside a bunch of others. And if you make something that everybody's seen before, it's not going to stand out. Um, so I think it's, it's like for with the example of the, the family coming together at the end, you can do that. But what what is it that you're trying to show? Like, why? Why did you do that? I, I, it's all about intention, I guess. Right. And do you have something new to say? Because there's certain topics that have been beaten to death. And if you don't have something new to say, or if you don't have a new perspective on something that has already been said, I don't know if your film is going to do particularly well 
in the festival circuit. And even then, doing well in the festival circuit doesn't necessarily mean that you get into every festival. I think the average film gets into one out of every 10 festivals they apply to. Yeah. And so it it's a steep game already. And you have to be prepared for disappointment. Uh, but also, my other big tip to anyone who's making a short film, know what your niche is. If you're a horror film, apply to horror festivals. If you are a romance, apply to romance festivals. Be aware of where you fall and maybe just pay attention to the audience you're trying to showcase your stuff to. Because not every audience is the same. And we live in this world now where we can showcase to these niches rather than following these trends and trying to show to a mainstream audience. We can target audiences now. And that's such an exciting opportunity for artists. Yeah, everything's so accessible. It's it's exactly. <laughs> the internet um, is out there. We can I post know. things on YouTube now. I know. Um, what was the question I had on mind? There's a question of. I feel like a question to ask first. The first question you should ask as an artist for yourself is, do you actually want your stuff to be seen by other people? It seems kind of like a given like yes you want your stuff to be seen but do you really care about your short film getting seen because you could you could just make it however the heck you want and then just watch it on your own tv and then that's the end of it and there's no one to, to judge it but if you do decide that you want it to be seen by a larger audience then you have to ask yourself are you willing to 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 follow other people's rules I guess. Yeah. And I think also, are you ready to hear other people's criticism? And then my other question is, if you're not ready for criticism, are you ready to be an artist is the key thing. (laughs) Because I think the willingness to share with other people is what separates it from a hobby almost. Because you can make things in your own time, but if you're not willing to share it with other people, it's, it's, it's really difficult to make that a profession. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I 100% agree. I feel like um, the the idea of these like rules and boxes you have to check is is practicing good craft. I would say. What do you think about that? I I would say that like in a way, practicing good craft is equivalent to pleasing the masses. And doing, a t- using a technique that's popular. I mean, I think so. And there's like, there's tropes, and I think they're techniques, and I think that's an important distinction. Because mm-hmm. I think techniques are things that are have been in vogue and followed for more than a hundred years, mm-hmm. versus trends and tropes don't necessarily need to be followed. And like, we don't need to fall onto these like trains of doing the same films that everyone else has been doing with the same cliches but you do need to follow like what is the story has been a story has been a story more or less the same for the past thousand years as a beginning middle and end it Mm -hmm. follows that deviating from that structure is going to be difficult because it is it's a foundation it's not like a, a layer of icing it is key to art as it is and I think following that is important I think do you need a scene where someone's looking in the mirror in the middle of your film while they're contemplating their life decisions? 
No, you don't need that. You see that all the time. It is a popular convention or trope, but it is not necessary in the same way. And so I think there are things you can deviate from and should deviate from to keep your film new and fresh. But there's also this layer of sticking with and acknowledging the basis and foundation of what a story is and what a film is. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good distinction to make. Tropes and techniques are two different things. Um, and tropes don't need to be followed. I wanted to also ask you, how is, like, in film school, that is very different than, say, art school, which I am doing, is how is, like, creativity kind of taught in film school? Because is it is it mostly, like, technique and, and teaching you like what I I want to know what types of stuff is is going on in there. <laughs> so I mean, we have our first year at LMU. The film school has us take three courses. We have to take an introduction to screenwriting course, a storytelling for the screen, art of cinema, which teaches you about like, the history of cinema and both genre conventions and also like how how to talk about lighting, how to talk about all these technical aspects. And then we have Prod 101, Production Boot Camp, which teaches you how to work on a set in different positions. Mm -hmm. And so looking at that, if you're teaching something, it comes from more of a technical aspect. Uh, like in Art of Cinema, for example, that's all technique. We had to write a genre analysis paper we had to, and do uh, a film comparison. And then that's all about learning technique. And so creativity comes later after you understand these basics. Prod 101, you have the freedom to direct how you want, but you still have to follow the organization of sets. So you're teaching technique and then allowing creativity to happen within that space. Because we are given a script, but we're not given, we're not told how to direct it. We're given the freedom to direct it as we wish within that space, but it's a controlled environment that's surrounded by this greater idea of teaching technique. And then same thing with storytelling for the screen. You can write any type of screenplay you want, but it needs to follow a screenplay format and it needs to be a compelling story. And so it's, it's this cage of convention, but you are allowed to have creativity within that. That's good. And so, yeah, it's very structured, but there is room for creativity, I guess would be my short answer. Mm -hmm. I would say it's the same at, uh, like a visual art school traditional thing um although I've had professors like at any time I do something where I'm really motivated by making it uh really refined and really pleasing to the audience with that in mind they kind of are opposed to that they're kind of like you shouldn't make it for the audience and I'm like uh <laughs> I think I think it's important to consider that I think it is as well, because I think that's what separates, I, I will say it again, that's what separates a hobby from a profession. Yeah. And I think you have to keep the audience in mind, because if you're doing something just for you, I think the self-indulgent director is one of the most annoying things ever. Like, mm -hmm. as the director, do you probably want a 15-minute shot of the cars passing by as he sits on a bench? Does that feel right? Maybe it does. Does the audience want to see that? No, they don't. And so... I think you should have freedom as a creative to do as you wish. However, you do need to make yourself accessible for the audience because art is once again, communication and you can yes. think something, but that doesn't mean you can communicate it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, my proposition is that this 
this uh, this world of the popular, idealized, trendy stuff, like you should use that to your advantage and almost use that as a medium itself. Like do what you have to do to uh, get your stuff seen. Make it make it what people want to see, but but keep that little gem inside that is your creative uniqueness and, and what you actually want to communicate. And then it will, it will bloom. It will, it will, it will do what it needs to do. I think if you have people stress, stress about being different and they, they try to be different. And I don't think that's necessary at all. I think if you do it, if you take the steps you need to take and you have good craft, your, your, creative intention will show through no matter what. I agree. The truth is you set yourself apart and you intentionally trying to set yourself apart actually makes you more like everybody else. And I think it's this almost you meet your own destiny on the path you take to avoid it. Not to quote um, Kung Fu Panda, but that is literally <laughs> the biggest problem in the art world is, is people trying to make themselves different and then making themselves the same in the process of trying to yes. be different. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Um, so I say embrace the, the popular opinion and, and use, it's almost like speaking a language. Like you have to speak the language in order to communicate anything, but what you do with the language you can, you can be creative with. So uh, I, I feel like any creative people, you don't need to stress about <laughs> being different or, or you don't have to stress about not being creative because you will have opportunities to be creative within the, within the, the mess of, of popular opinion and stuff. Um, yes, it's, it is yeah. good craft. I think it's just good craft and understanding that you should have good craft is, is important and, and accepting that is an important step of the process because <laughs> you it, it, i think yes it is a, a hobby if you kind of just keep it to yourself um you can't make money in art if you, nobody's seeing your things right right but don't don't be only motivated by the money either i think you should let very that, true you should let that uh the little light inside you lead the way but use the tools around you that you have that are accessible, um, which means which means checking the boxes <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> exactly, it's everything in life is a balancing act, and the balancing between whether uh, making art for yourself while also making it a career mm -hmm. is another difficult balancing act uh, that you just have to figure out for yourself over time what that percentage is of for yourself. And for others, hopefully it's more like 20% for others and 80% for yourself. But sometimes that's going to be more 50-50. Let's just hope it doesn't go too far on the other on the other side of the spectrum. But yes. you always do need to keep the audience in mind. They aren't just things you get to ignore. Yes, yes. I. What is the? What are these fancy vocabulary words? Um, intrinsic <laughs> and extrinsic motivations motivation yes these things i'm gonna look more into them but that's basically what we're talking about being inclined to do something for yourself or being inclined to do something because you want to avoid harm or, or gain a reward 
uh, I think just like anything else, there should be a balance between the two. And that's where I I agree. Conclude that, to be honest. (laughs) I I think that's a good, that's a good conclusion right there. Yeah. Find your balance. You need both. um, And embrace, embrace your time. (laughs) Uh, I guess that's all. We're running out of time. So (laughs) that's all I have. Are there any final thoughts that you have? Nope. Just keep making art and don't give up on yourself. Yes, yes. Keep keep that light inside yourself. Let it shine. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. If you liked what you heard, give me a follow and be back for my next conversation. See ya.